Well, hello, it's Bernadette back um, with another episode of She Renovates. And today I've got a guest, a very special guest, Svetlana Thorpe. Now, Svetlana runs a conveyancing business and I've asked her to come in to discuss a worrying thing that's been happening in property transactions, the whole issue around cyber security. So your money being stolen when details are being shared online via email with either your agent or your conveyancer or lawyer. And so we're going to be brainstorming ways for you to be able to protect your hard-earned money. So make sure that you listen to this episode intently and if you get great value from it, don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave us a review so we get to spread the love. Thank you. Now, this episode is sponsored by the School of Renovating Boardroom Bootcamp. This is an intensive strategic planning and training weekend. It is the fast track for women and their partners to change the course of their lives through renovating and property. It's an intimate weekend training conducted around our boardroom table so you get up to speed quickly with the core system to go from where you are today to an annual income of fifty to 150000 per year. The key feature of the weekend is that you get personal help and guidance to design your strategic plan to replace your income either straight away or in retirement. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, it's Bernadette, and I'm here with Svetlana Thorpe. Svetlana uh, and I have been friends for quite a few years, and uh, Svetlana is a conveyancer. She has her own business in Thorpe Conveyancing, and she's been in the uh, legal industry for almost 20 years. So what I'm going to do now is, I guess, swing over to Svetlana and let her tell you a little bit about what she does. Hi, Svetlana. Hi, Bernadette. Thank you so much for having me. And hi, everyone. And thank you for tuning in and listening to today's uh, session. I am a conveyancer, as Bernadette already said. And I've been in the industry, yes, for quite a while. So I've seen a lot of things happening, served, I guess, for over maybe 1,000 clients, if not even more. I'm kind of losing track. And uh, I love what I do. I, I, I love helping my clients, particularly trying to demystify uh, the whole sort of, I guess, I don't want to say misunderstanding, but just making sure that the, that they understand the process and trying to make it simple because conveyancing doesn't have to be complicated. It's a very exciting part of, you know, transaction in people's lives. Some people only get to do it maybe once or twice. Some savvy people, particularly your clients or customers, Bernadette, will do these kind of things more often. So it's good to know they have the basic understanding of, uh, of do's and don'ts and how the process works. And my job, what I try to do is just basically help them to understand the legal intricacies to so making sure that they are aware of everything and they feel comfortable with going to uh, either to auction or make an offer and buy the property very quickly. Now, the reason why we're talking today is, is it, it's actually a really important subject and it's something that's only emerged 
in the past few years. And I'm sure most people listening would have heard about this issue, but it's actually more common than you think. And to kick this off, I just want to share uh, my first experience with the, the, I guess, issue of cyber theft of proceeds yes. from a property sale. Now, I, we have a student who, prior to coming to us, was um, a partner in quite a bad property deal. Mm-hmm. And, and she was the money partner. And when the property sold... They'd made loss and to add insult to injury, when the agent transferred the balance of the deposit through to her to go back into her bank account, the email that she sent to the real estate agent to give them her bank details was intercepted by a scammer. That person changed her bank details to their bank details And consequently, the funds were deposited into the scammer's bank account. And I guess, which is was just horrific. However, most scammers apparently only use the bank account twice. But in this situation, this particular person actually had used this account before. And so the bank, which was the NAB, which was very on the ball, actually intercepted and quarantined the money so she was able to get her deposit back. But it was, you know, probably about 50000 quite a substantial amount. And so, and since then, I have heard lots of horror stories about these incidents. So I thought it's time to bring in the experts to help us to protect ourselves from these Svetlana, that's probably our main focus today. Mm-hmm. And I thought probably, firstly, I'd ask you, have you had any experience with people trying to scam money from your clients? Absolutely. It's a, it's a very timely topic and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up. Obviously, in a, in a position that I'm also a, a user, just like you, who is using, you know, electronic devices, you know, smartphones, electronic banking and everything, transferring money electronically, but it will be from my from my phone, but also as a as an ultimate client provi- service provider where I'm transferring and dealing with clients' funds. So I have to be absolutely 100% sure of what I'm doing and where I'm transferring the money, it's going to the right account. By all means, I'm not by all means a cyber expert on cyber, you know, uh, crime or anything like that. All I can say is just from my experience and from the seminars that I have attended, uh, it's a very timely topic and we all have to be vigilant. I have to be careful, not only as, a, as I said, as the, uh, you know, individual users, but it's affecting us, but also in my case, as a person who, who I'm dealing with my client's money, my client's livelihood, but it would be transferring the funds for the for the property they want to purchase or whether it would be the uh, proceeds of the sale and clients want to collect the money and possibly retire or just use it for you know for you know just to live on so it's very so it's very important to be very careful i guess the number one thing is basically it's to possibly i guess to say it's uh, trust your gut if something doesn't look right or possibly just looks too good double check, triple check. I can't stress enough that just to making sure or possibly if something just looks out of ordinary, if particularly if you are dealing with a, let's say with the agent or perhaps your solicitor or conveyancer 
and you've done a number of transactions, you are used to a particular way of uh, emails and communication and documents, and suddenly something out of ordinary happens. Just don't don't just rely bluntly on them or just experience and thinking, well, it's different, but I've known this person. Those are the situations where you have to take an extra step and verify. I know we are all busy and just trying to cut cut down cut down the time and make making making everything extra fast. But though this circumstances, this situation is where it actually really matters. And that one time when you sort of a little bit too, uh, I guess, just sort of you know, you know, too busy and you just you know not really checking everything. That's when it could actually be the time when some you know mistakes would happen. So just. Don't be complacent and really check everything. So what I particularly do every single time I'm asking my clients to transfer the money and I receive the instructions, I always follow up with a phone call. I always make sure that I double check that though bank account details they have given me exactly as they appear, whether it would be in an email or whether it would be as a PDF document. I always prefer my clients to, for them to scan the information as opposed to just write it in the body of the text. I have been told of an example that you may not even realize that your computer may have been infected with a virus. Not sure of the technicalities, how it exactly works, but apparently there is a virus that can sit at the back of your computer and scans the emails and it can de detect the BSP uh, and account details and sort of similar things like what you've described, that those details can be replaced and replaced with the... Uh, with the scammers' uh, bank account details. Okay. And that's how it happens. So just being very careful and I guess just take that extra step. And if you're sending your bank account details, make a phone call, call the agent, call the solicitor conveyancer uh, or, or whoever that might be money partner and just double check. Have you received my details? Can you please read them back to me? Just double check that what they have is what you've sent. Because, yeah, because... You never know. It may, it may not be this particular transaction. It could have happened in the past. You may have link, click on a link to something. It may not even look suspicious, but there's just so much happening in the cyber world that we as a everyday users don't even know how it may affect our computers and what can happen. So, uh, so with the you know with computers having up to date softwares, it's very important. Can I just jump in there and just go back a step? Yeah. Can we just clarify, firstly, where in a property transaction are the weaknesses? Where are, is the, are you most exposed? And I think probably the first one would be when you are giving your details to your solicitor to be able to put the proceeds of the sale into your bank account. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, probably I will go even one step back. In a, in a purchase transactions could be, for example, transferring the deposit for a, to, a, to an agent's account. That would be the first one. Yeah, okay. So it goes into right account. I guess in that case, it may not be a, such a huge amount of money, but irrespective of whether it's a $1,000 or $100,000, it, you know, it still should be, we should still be vigilant and we should still pay attention to what we're doing. Yeah. So that probably would be first. And then at settlement, that would be the second transaction, second time when you're dealing with people's money, the distribution yeah. of funds. So it's when you are transferring, when you as a buyer are transferring the details to your solicitor and also when the solicitor is inputting them into the 
what's it, the PEXAR system? That's right, yes, exactly. So it's uh, on the purchase side, when you need to tr provide the funds for, for, for settlement, there could be two situations, either a solicitor conveyance that can ask you to transfer the money into their trust account, yeah. or, uh, or what I do is uh, transactions, property transactions these days happen on PEXAR, which is Property Exchange, Property Australia Exchange Platform, mm -hmm. uh, where all the settlements, now it's mandatory, requirement by the Australian government to settle all transactions electronically. At the moment, there's only one provider, but another provider is coming up on board. It's called Simply. There's, there will be competition. There will be two different providers, PEXA and Simply. So it, so uh, it has to, you have to be very careful about making sure you are giving the correct details to your client and the client also uh, transferring the money into credit accounts. So, yeah, and then that's... Okay, so the first... Point. I'm just trying to make sure okay. we've got these clears and more for our listeners so they're really clear about this. When you are transferring the deposit to your agent, when providing your details to your solicitor for actually, you're not transferring the deposit, are you? So this no, is goes to agent. You're buying a property and you yes. transfer the deposit to an agent. When you're selling a property, when you're transferring the details to your solicitor, for them to deposit the funds from the sale into your account. That's when, right. When that solicitor is inputting those details into the PEXAR and soon the sim simple system, is it, or whatever it is? Simply, yes. Simply. And then the third place where there is a weakness is when you're transferring your bank account details to the agent for, for them to deposit the remainder of the property deposit into your account after the sale. So there's really four points are that we we need to protect absolutely and yeah so now the next thing and of course the why you would protect them it's really obvious because there are large sums of money and you are in you know you're at risk of you know losing your you know life savings if you if this isn't managed well so it's a very important topic so so let's talk about Firstly, when you de transfer deposit into your agent's account, that's pretty well up to you, isn't it? So it's about you being present and cautious about how you do it. And I guess the probably the worst that could happen is that you could, you know, type in a wrong digit, which I seriously do all the time, and it go into, you know, it'll, it'll bounce usually, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well... That will be the, the, I guess, the best case scenario. But I guess basically there are two aspects. Making sure you have the right details. So when you receive the instructions from the agent where to transfer the money, yeah. as I said, simple thing, just follow up with a phone call, making sure I've got your email. These are the bank account details. Can I verify that I've received the correct instructions? And then the second step is basically, that's where it, comes, where it all down, comes down to a human error, is mm. making sure that you take, you are careful about entering the details because slip of a finger and um, you can just swap the digit with another, another number and bank account details are now incorrect. And in the best case scenarios, the funds would bounce back. But, you know, that could be, I don't know what is the one in that, hundreds, millions, would yeah. be actually going to somebody's existing account and if those people are fast they can then quickly transfer money somewhere else and will be very hard to trace that money and demand it back actually the last property we sold my solicitor i reckon she rang me about four times 
while she was doing that transaction, she said, I'm really sorry about this, but I am so paranoid about it because she said that one of her colleagues had actually done that where she had transferred the money and accidentally punched in the wrong digit. And normally it bounces, but this time it was someone's account. And so their only way to get that back was to sue that person. And, of course, what you say is right. If they've spent it or whatever, you can be, you know, like that can be a terrible situation for the vendor but also for the, the actual solicitor themselves or the conveyancer. Absolutely. So it really comes down to, um, you know, being, you know, having processes in place, particular, you know, when you dealing with your solicitor or conveyancer, making sure that they have the proper, you know, proper processing in place, that they're checking everything because ultimately whether it would be a person in charge who is then the last person who is entering those details, they are then relying on their team, on their paralegals, assistants or associates, whoever that may be, that they are giving them the right, the right details. So it's so that basically just depends on the, uh, I guess, as I said, the culture and the uh, processes that individual, you know, laws or not conveyances have in place. When it comes to use of the uh, of the platform, then um, like with any sort of um, software you use, making sure that you have some kind of protection, but it would be uh, having a tool called authentication factor in place that um, you make you sure that you are making sure that you are the right person who's got access to the software and that there has been no temperation with the details. There are now also, I believe, PEXA has come up with, a, with actually an app called, I think, PEXA Key that is actually only being used for particular just for, make, for secure transfer of the, uh, of the, of the date details, a supply uh, of the bank account details. Uh, I haven't looked into it yet. It's actually on my to-do list, just looking to, uh, to see how it works, and how I can possibly, once I look into it and I'm comfortable with it, then offer that option to my clients. Uh, but as I said, I don't know much details about it. So there are... Before we move into that, can I yeah. just ask you, as someone who's doing, you know, buying and selling property, how can we know that our professional, our conveyancer or solicitor has has this under control like what questions do we need to ask to find out if they are on top of it or whether we need to be looking for someone else well that's a very good question and i guess basically just depends whether you know this is the first time you're working with this person or whether you work with them before uh i guess you, you know when you're working with a conveyancer you want to make sure that they are licensed. If they are licensed, that they that means they also have to have a professional indemnity insurance in place. However, I'm not sure whether the you know funds fraud would actually be covered by the professional indemnity insurance. That I think this actually would fall under cyber insurance. So I guess the question you can ask is not only whether they are licensed, whether they have a indemnity insurance, but also if they have a cyber protection insurance in place. That's that's basically number one thing I have. And I actually believe that it's becoming now compulsory for the PEXA users to have a cyber protection okay. in place. Okay. And if not, I think they should have because yeah. we need to make sure, you know, that yeah. your ultimate clients are protected. That's, that, that actually is a good point because the thing is, if that money goes missing, you know, it's not the sort of money people have got in their bank account. Absolutely. So that, that is, that's good. And what about their sort of, systems and processes, what can we ask them about those? 
you, at, at the beginning of the transaction, I guess you can basically ask them, well, can you please explain to me a little bit detail what happens, what should I expect? And and I guess then you can just get a feel from yeah. what they say how, into how much details they go to. And particularly if you really want to pay attention, just ask them about the settlement process, how it all happens. You know, a licensed experienced person will have no hesitation to explain the process in details at the very early stages irrespective of whether you, they have already been engaged to do the transaction or whether it's just that somebody who is just making an inquiry. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know, you want to make sure that your clients are comfortable dealing with you and they understand and they trust you and they know that they are in the hand of the expert. Mm, yeah. Yeah, well, often as a client, that's hard to tell because some people can walk the walk but don't actually. So that's why I'm sort of trying to give people some tools. And I think that's good. That's quite a good strategy so how can you so the question you would ask that particular person is how do you manage the settlement the funds in the settlement process to reduce the risk or eliminate the risk I think is what you want of cybercrime yes. of losing it through cybercrime that would be the question you'd be asking yeah exactly absolutely and yeah. uh, and they you know they should be able to you know explain processes they have in place to, you know, to make sure that they don't make any mistakes and they're providing the correct information and receive the correct information from the clients. But as I said, I'm really much sort of, uh, it's being very much vigilant and, you know, relying on that gut feeling when something doesn't feel right, it's probably, that's the, that's where, you know, you should ask that extra question that should be really taking that extra step. Yeah. But sometimes there is no sign yet. That those those emails have been intercepted. Absolutely, yeah. So let's go through. Let's just recap. Really, I know you've talked quite a bit about what the strategies are, but just to get them into some sort of form of order. So in terms of prevention. So as a client, the first thing that we can do is make sure that that information is transferred securely and successfully to the person, whether it is the solicitor or whether it is the agent. So one of the things that I really, that I insist on doing now is not using email. Now, I know you did mention that when you use email that you actually attach it as a document. You don't put it in the body of the email because of the, the viruses. But what I like to do is either call them and give it to them over the phone or put it in writing and use the good old snail mail. And something else that I like to do, which I think is a good way of avoiding mistakes, is actually photocopying a statement. So the numbers are actually on mm -hmm. the statement. Yeah, just by using a, you know, like just photocopying a statement or a deposit slip from mm -hmm. that account and just handing it to the agent or the solicitor is a great way of eliminating room for error making sure that, well, you, all your details are on it, your your bank account, the BSB, your name and address. So there's then the only risk there is is in putting that into the, into the file or exactly. the yes. process. Yeah, and then the next step comes from your side. And so do you want to just walk through again what you see as being the way of conveyances, making sure that they get that information incorrectly? Absolutely. So as I say, you know, I always, when I'm asking my clients to transfer their money, I um, the system I use automatically generates, uh, actually the PECSA itself is the system I use, 
automatically generates a unique bank account details that are only valid for that particular transaction. So it's a one-time only valid bank account details. So that comes by you know special form that's been generated for particular clients, and then I email it to clients. And then, as I said, I follow up with a phone call to make sure that they've received it, they understand it, and they know what is expected of them. And, uh, and I also ask my clients to confirm to me when they've made a payment so that I can, on my end, look out to see if that money has been received. When it comes to actually myself and the money is received, the next step actually entering it into a system, it just all comes down to a basically being very careful and not rushing with things and making sure that, you know, that you enter the, enter the correct details because human errors can unfortunately happen to the best of us. Yeah, so it's just sort of very careful. So I always sort of, there are, yeah, I think twice, actually maybe sometimes even three times, triple check that I've entered the money because there are three, first when I actually enter the details and then um, final step is when I actually have to sign off on everything. Then I double check again, making sure that all the details I have in the systems are matching with the details I received from my clients. So it's... um. That's what I always, always do. So always, always double check, just not the, not only rely on that one time. Exactly. Okay, so I think we've got a pretty good outlay of how to manage this situation. So, oh, and the other thing that we talked about, you did talk about in the beginning, and, and we've, is to actually take time to be present and not stressed around the property transaction. So I, I am guilty of this. Like, basically, sometimes properties, you know, they, they settle and I'm seriously so preoccupied with other stuff that I barely notice. So, but that, that this sort of requires you to certainly um, give it your full attention so that mistakes are not made. And you can, I guess, be you know protective of your funds absolutely exactly but this is the this is the that one time where it really matters is when you're dealing with the funds because you just i know we are all busy and lots of things are happening and we can easily get distracted but this is really you really need to be have high expectations of yourself and also of people you're dealing with taking that extra step uh, making that extra phone call i, I know it's uh, it can be a pain but you know, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, with large amount of money. These days, property very rarely, you know, sell under half a million, you know, close to million dollar mark. So it's a huge amount of money we are transferring and I can't afford to make a mistake uh, because it can have a huge impact on my client, you know, future and the ability to either buy another property, live on comfortably. Yeah, oh, so it's uh, absolutely important that this step is not being sort of uh, rushed through. Exactly. Okay, so I think we have dealt with that situation adequately. So the next thing we're going to talk about is clearance certificates required at settlement. Mm -hmm. So the first one is the foreign tax clearance certificate. We in the industry sort of just now start calling it the ATO clearance certificates because it's issued by the ATO Australian Taxation Office, yeah. the, full, the full on name. Let me just not waste my time. It's a foreign resident capital, capital gains withholding tax clearance certificate. Okay. So it's a so it's a certificate which, funny enough, actually, it actually has something to do with what your residency status. But the trigger for the requirement is if the uh, sale price of the property 
is more than $750,000. And the requirement is only owner of the property, owner vendor to provide a certificate prior to settlement, at least five days. So can I just jump in there? So the reason this is so important is because foreign resident capital gains tax, is that higher than than our capital gains tax? They pay higher. Uh, I really don't know. Basically, from the conveyancing point of view, it's... uh, the, the, the reason why the legislation basically came into place was, I believe it was established or introduced, I think, back in 2017. And what used to happen is a lot of foreign residents, when they were particularly, I understand it was Chinese, Chinese residents mm-hmm. were, you know, selling the properties without declaring the proceeds and they're not paying taxes. And a lot of money were leaving Australia. And governments were obviously losing money. So what happened is at the time, the legislation actually says that only if the sale price was was over $2 million. So they're trying to basically keep the pool of those properties, uh, making sure that the, the tax was paid. But within a couple of months, I think probably maybe six months, even less, they actually have uh, changed the requirements and uh, they actually covered much bigger pool of properties so that they've changed the uh, threshold from two million down to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars i guess i'm trying to get at the implications so if the onus is on you to provide that and you don't well obviously your conveyances or solicitors should do that but if they don't then you actually have to pay the tax is that correct oh basically it's um the vendor has to provide a certificate and if they can't or if if they are not Australian for tax purposes, that then they the twelve and a half percent of the sale price has to be withheld and paid to the ATO at settlement. If that mistake happens and that money is not, then the actually the the onus the obligation is on the purchaser or the purchaser conveyance and making sure that 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 certificate is has been provided. It's a very simple process. It's only I think about like four or five questions the owner the vendor has to answer. One of the questions actually is whether their residential status has changed in the last two years. So it all comes down to basically if they are, you know, residents for tax purposes in Australia. Okay. So I want to just recheck this and make sure I've got it right. So I'm an Australian resident and I am buying a property and it's worth, say, a million dollars. And so my solicitor has to make sure that the vendor solicitor provides this certificate because if my conveyancer or solicitor doesn't do that then after so I have to withhold 12 and a half percent of what I pay to the vendor to give to the ATO that's and, right yes okay uh, if it doesn't happen there are penalties on the purchase side I don't believe I haven't actually come across them I'm not exactly sure to tell you about what yeah, the I, I think they're actually really significant penalties. Yeah, I, know, I know but I just actually haven't come across so I can't really tell you what exactly it is uh, so basically it's it's a checklist it's making sure based you know as soon as you see the contract and the price that's you know that's the first thing that you you, you check for and request the good thing that these days basically it's actually um, it's becoming more and more common that when I receive a contract, that certificate it already is in there. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's not such a huge issue to actually get those certificates and, and to chase them. Um, usually the uh, vendor solicitors are fairly diligent and those certificates are provided in a timely, timely fashion. Mm-hmm. And only in few circumstances uh, 
it's usually it could be also even even Australian citizens, but who are living and working overseas and who are selling their Australian property are required to withhold that money. So it doesn't have to be actually foreigner who owns the property in Australia. It could be also Australian okay. resident. Okay. So now the other certificate. What was that one again? Land tax. Land tax certificate. Yes. Land tax certificate is, is a basically a charge on the land. It's an annual charge. It basically comes into effect when if as an owner of the property, pretty much every property you own is subject to land tax. However, there are exemptions and your principal place of residence, the property that you live in, is automatically exempt. But everything else, whether it could be your investment property, your holiday house, uh, would be subject to land tax. However, the trigger for the land tax is the um, overall taxable value of the property has to be over the threshold. So each year, the Revenue New South Wales um, sets the threshold for the, for, the, um, for the land tax. This year, I think it's $714,000. Let me just quickly check. Yes, $734,000. I apologize. So it's actually quite a large amount of money. And as I said, it's a combined value of all the investment properties you own. The other thing with land tax, particularly mm-hmm. for renovators and people doing property deals, is knowing the date of assessment. So Svetlana has just quoted the land tax threshold for New South Wales. And in other states, it's different. And the date of assessment can be different. So the thing about land tax is that you pay at the date of assessment for the following 12 months. And in New South Wales, it's the last day in, of the year in December. That's right. And so if you're selling a property that's going to settle in January, it's highly likely that you'll have to pay, you know, five or $10,000 land tax on, in December for the year coming and it's not even going to be... That's uh, exactly, yes. Which can be a little bit disheartening uh, unless you can, unless the vendor agrees to have it adjusted and which is if their solicitor is on the ball, that shouldn't happen. I have actually had a situation where I have been able to get the vendor to adjust the land tax. I don't think they really know knew what they were agreeing to. But the other thing that you need to be careful of is that the date of assessment and where it falls in your project. So for Queensland, it's the middle of the year. So, you know, if you go into that thinking you're not, and to be honest with you, I got caught out with this with our last project. I, you know, didn't practice what I preach and didn't check the land tax assessment date, expecting it to be December and it was actually June. So we got slugged about four and a half grand of land tax that I wasn't really that thrilled about. But anyhow, that's life. Yes, I guess basically uh, there are two aspects, whether you are a buyer, whether you are the owner of the property. As a purchaser, you want to make sure that the contract has, you know, when you're looking at the contract, there's no land tax adjustment required because otherwise you have to reimburse the owner of the property for their liability to pay land tax. For yeah. you as a purchaser, it's grossly unfair because, you know, you don't want to, you know, reimburse somebody for their uh, investment property, for them making money. So you want to make sure that land tax is that is deleted. So if there is any land tax charge on the land, it's only the vendor's responsibility to pay and the vendor has to provide clearance certificate. I would argue that it's unfair because... It is I, unfair. Absolutely. I think it's unfair to the vendor. If, oh. like in that situation where you're paying for the following year when it's going to belong to someone else, 
So you're not paying for the year that you own it, you're paying for the following year. I, I think it's reasonable to ask as a purchaser, I wouldn't agree to accept it. But, you know, as a, as a vendor, I would certainly be trying to get it adjusted. But the thing is, if you're selling it to a homeowner, it doesn't apply anyhow. So, Well, that's the thing, but it's basically, it, the land tax is actually, it's not a legal obligation. It's, it's a purely commercial decision of the owner to decide whether they want to be reimbursed. So as if you are a purchaser and you are buying it for yourself to live in, so of course, after settlement, you will not be required to pay land tax, yeah. but the vendor requires you to reimburse them so purely just to pay money back to well, them. That's probably not the scenario I was talking about. I was okay. talking about that because as a purchaser, if you're buying, it just doesn't apply. So no one in their right mind would agree to pay. You just wouldn't pay it because it's not payable if it's your family home. Yes, that's right. right. Yes. So basically, it always comes down to looking at the contract and making sure that land tax is marked as no. And then on the other hand, when you are the vendor, loving your obligation, yeah. funny thing is a lot of people, a lot of, uh, lot of investors, they don't even realise they actually they have to register for land tax themselves. Yeah. Government is not going to chase you and people don't realise until they're going to sell the investment property that they were possibly even required to pay land tax for the last two or three years. And they never paid it, and then you have all the accumulated penalties and land tax that hasn't been cleared because they oh, didn't realise they wow. had to pay it every year. Okay. So that's one thing that, as I said, the government actually is not going to chase you. It's your obligations to, as soon as you buy the property, and if it's your investment property, to go online, register with the yeah, revenue yeah. Sales, and they will assess the property okay. you if you're required to pay land tax or not. Yeah. Okay, well, so let's just cover that off again just so yes. that we make sure that we, I think we'll, I'll have to do a little checklist because there's a lot of information here. That's right, yes. To get clear about. So the Foreign Resident Capital Gains Certificate, so for any property over 750000 and this is managed by your solicitor or conveyancer or That's the right. um, vendor solicitor or conveyancer should provide it. The purchaser's solicitor or conveyancer should make sure it's there. Because if not, if it's not supplied, then they need to pay 12.5% of the sale price to the ATO at sort of withholding. That's right. There's a process involved how to uh, get all the details and everything and how to register and get all the payment details. Absolutely, making sure that it's withhold that settlement. Yeah. And then the second thing is the land tax certificate. And I guess the main thing that's come out of that conversation is, one, if you're buying a property, make sure that you're not you're not accepting having the land tax adjusted because if you're a, an investor and not a homeowner, you will have to pay that to the vendor and you don't really want to pay that. That's initially. right. And yeah. also for the vendor, basically, particularly this becomes a very big issue just around Christmas time because for the investors, for the vendor investor, they don't realise as soon as they agree to settle in January, as you said yourself, okay then the next year land tax will come into place and they will have to be liable to pay the land tax even though they may only own the property, let's say, first two weeks in January, but they will be hit for the land tax for the whole year. Exactly. So I've come across a lot of transactions around December where the vendors are even or provide incentive for the purchasers to settle still within that current financial year or calendar year because yeah. land tax in New South Wales is calculated from January till December, so it's calendar year, not financial year. So they yeah. always want to settle before the end of December. Otherwise, as soon as the 1st of January ticks over, new land tax for the next year kicks in. Exactly. So 
So yeah. I had particular this, uh, I actually had a transaction when my clients were purchasers and the vendor solicitors was chasing us and offering quite a lot of incentives to settle in December because uh, I think it cost about $20,000 for the vendor wow. to pay land tax just for settling in, uh, I think it was like in the middle of January. Yeah, we all need more tax, don't we? Yes. <laughs> okay, so coming out of that is basically to make sure that you know the date of assessment in yes. your particular state. And also the other thing is that the onus is on you to register that property for land tax. That's right. So make sure you do that because otherwise you'll have it up year in, year out. And, you know, if you come to a point where you want to sell it, you'll have a massive bill to pay out of it. Absolutely, yes. It could, yeah, it could, unfortunately, yes. Svetlana, I think we have delivered, you know, with knowledge comes power. So, and that's really, you know, why I think it's really important to have these conversations so that our, our listeners are really empowered to look after their own interests. We must have good advisors, but we also need to know whether our advisors and our specialists are doing their job well. And the only way to know that is to be across the, the law. That's right. It very Sorry. comes down to basically having your team around you, having an experienced conveyance solicitor, good tax accountant, good buyer's agent, you know, if you, if you need assistance with actually finding the right property. So having a good team, good financial planner, it's all these people, mortgage broker, they will help you to make the right decisions when it comes to buying and selling properties. But as you said yourself, also knowing a little bit of information because then you can check, you can ask additional questions because so that you know that you are getting the right advice. Exactly. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, listen, thank you for that, Svetlana. I think we've provided a lot of value today. And, oh, yeah, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and talking to your listeners. And if anyone any other questions, more than happy to, uh, you know, be guest again and talk. There are so many other topics we could talk about. Actually, Svetlana, would you like to just let... Yes, um, sorry, our listeners know how they can get in contact with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can definitely check my website. Uh, they provide information at uh, thoughtconveyancing.com.au or on the Facebook page as well where I provide some uh, uh, tips and hints for uh, what to be aware of, what to avoid. I've got a profile on LinkedIn as well. So I'm more than happy for people to uh, get in touch and, uh, yeah, they can download an ebook on my website for buyers or people who are going to auctions of things to be aware of when you attend auction as well. So uh, it's a freebie they can download and uh, use. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. And we'll include a link in the show notes. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I'll send you the link as well for your listeners as well. No worries. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you so much. In our boardroom boot camps, we not only teach you the system, we also help you put together your strategic plan so you have everything you have you need to go from where you are now to Reno Heaven. You will find a link to the boardroom boot camp where you'll find many more details in the show notes. Well, that's it for today. Now, if you haven't already, please head over and leave us a review so we can share the reno love see you then you're listening to the she renovates podcast 
You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. 